Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earl. Hey, we're here today with Darby Fox talking about her book, Rethinking Your Teenager. Darby is a child and adolescent family therapist in private practice in Connecticut and New York. She's got over 20 years of experience. She's an expert on parenting, child psychology, and really a whole range of family topics. She appears all the time on air and print media talking about parenting questions and discipline techniques and really all kinds of current trends in child development, adolescent psychology, and really the most current parenting practices. We're here today with Darby, really trying to dive into some common myths that parents buy into that, that maybe hold parents back in terms of how they communicate with their teenager, how they set expectations, discipline their teenager, and create an open dialogue, really how important it is to create an open and honest dialogue with teenagers, make it feel like they can talk to you about things, but at the same time to follow through when you are disciplining them when, when they break the rules. And how do you do both of those things at the same time? How do you make them feel like they can talk to you about things like sex, drugs, alcohol, tough topics, but at the same time, how do you also be firm as a parent? And Darby feels like that's really important. So we're going to be talking about how to walk the line between those two things, how to do both at the same time. And that's all coming up today on Talking to Teens. Darby, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Welcome to Talking to Teens. Thanks so much for making it here today. We're really excited. Thank you for having me. Yes. Love talking about teens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you have a whole book on it. And really, I love the premise of the book, which is about shifting from control and conflict to structure and nurture, and really kind of reframing the way we think about adolescents and about teenagers. And yeah, as you we were just saying, kind of teenagers really are misunderstood in a lot of ways, I think. And uh, it's kind of funny, because as a teenager, I remember feeling so misunderstood by adults and by everybody. But but I think there's some truth to that, you know. And of course, maybe, you know, they blow it out of proportion a little bit. But the book is called Rethinking Your Teenager. And can you just talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this? What's your background? Where do you come from? And where did you did you get all the ideas to fill up so many pages? <laughs> it kind of remember when you're writing those papers in school or college and you're like, oh my God, 10 pages. How can I write 10 pages? <laughs> that just kind of went. But so I think what interests me, I, I'm a child and adolescent family therapist. And you know, people have questioned why do you put child and adolescent first? Because what I like to do is put them first in a relationship. Mm. Because usually what happens is I get people saying, you know, my child's out of control or they're depressed or they're not doing their homework. Mm. Can you fix them? Yeah, right. So, you know, I sort of take that and run with it by saying, okay, this is about you. This is a place when you're with me that I want to hear, what do you struggle with? What are you good at? What are you bad? Like, what is your motivation? And get a better understanding for them. And I think that came, or I know it came from the fact that I was one of six kids in seven years. And growing up, we had 
everything we needed. You know, we very, you know, middle-class family, everything was great. But I always felt like, you know, we really had to just kind of be quiet and eat dinner or go do our homework or there wasn't a lot of room. And it was also part of the time. You didn't really ask, Mm. you know, parents didn't really care what I thought. And that's all fair. So I'm not being critical. I'm saying, I think growing up, and I have a brother who's a psychologist, a sister who works in domestic violence. Like we all went kind of like to this huh. thing saying, could we just listen? Could someone hear us? Yeah. So I think that is the important, that's kind of where I came from. Yeah. And I feel like adolescents are incredibly rewarding and can make huge shifts if you one teach them and then you go where they want to go, which isn't always exactly where the parents want them to go. And that's the difficulty sometimes. I think that's really similar to what we see here a lot. You know, parents come and they find our website and they find a podcast. My kid's got a problem here. And how do I, what do I do? How do I fix it? And a lot of, I think what we also try to do on the podcast is to reframe that a little bit and, you know, say, Hey, maybe there's a lot of things going on in, in the kid's life and the community around and the family and the school and everything that's creating this situation. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, the kid has a problem. There's a lot of problems everywhere. And so, yeah, I think that it's kind of when we approach the whole situation of thinking in terms of, you know, how do I fix this or how do I get rid of this problem and just get back to, you know, just normal kind of kid or normal relationship that we're, we're sort of missing the opportunity, like you're saying, just to listen and to understand more. And maybe it's not something that needs to be, you know, fixed or gotten rid of, but maybe it's more something that we just need to, to understand more what they're coming from and where they are and what's happening with them. And I think that's really, even just that simple shift, mindset shift goes so far. Or I, I talk to parents a lot about, you know, it's, it's not about teaching them, you know, what they need to know or where they need to go or what they need to do differently. But it's more about learning from them about what's going on with them or what they're thinking or where they're heading or or where their life is going. And I really think if you can just take nothing else away from the entire 200 episodes we've done on this podcast, but that (laughs) one idea, that's profound. That will change your life. You know, it will change the relationship with your teenager like that, you know, just shifting your mindset. I couldn't agree more. I think that's such an integral thought. And that is scary for a lot of parents. Yeah. You're having to give up control. Yeah. And we as human beings tend to control when we're afraid of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We grip tighter, you know, the more. Yeah. (laughs) And then we clamp down. And for a lot of reasons, but neurologically, your teens are hardwired to be looking for new things and exciting things. And mm. that's part of the evolution. If we're going to get you ready to be an adult, we've got to like rev you up and get you out there to, you know, assess all these experiences. They're hardwired for gratification and novelty seeking. They're not the GABA that says, stop, what do you think, is not getting hit on at the same level. And I think, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what can I do about that? I'm like, well, you can preview with them why you want them to do something or why it might not be a good idea. But again, I think earlier on, we need to let them make those mistakes and then preview how it could be different or what else they could have done as opposed to shaming them and saying, you never think, you never listen, that kind of stuff. Because really none of us learns because someone tells us, like you think of relationships or whatever, I told you she was no good or I told you he was no good. That's not how we work. We work on experience. Yeah. And if we could just remember teens need to experience it, what we want to do is provide some sort of 
gutters, if you will. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, the ball can go down the lane and when it goes off, we'll be able to pick it up nine times out of 10, but we kind of have to allow for that in order for them to learn. I was just talking to my girlfriend about this recently because, you know, my, my parents had this deal with us when we were teenagers and kids that my mom, I think, got from her sister and my aunt and uncle that they did with their kids, which was that if we make it to age 21 without drinking or using drugs at all, they buy us a car. Yeah. Well, I fucked that up. I did not make it. Um, <laughs> and neither did, you know, my brother and neither did our cousin. We had one cousin who did it and he made it. And yeah. wow, you know, good for him. But, and it's like, you know, what a nice thing to offer, you know, how, what an awesome, great thing, you know, car, everything you would want as a teenager, really, really great. But also at the same time, you know, looking back now, it really, it made me feel like, well, I guess that I, that can't really talk to you about this stuff. If I am doing this or making these choices, then well, now it's a secret. Or, Or if I do then even get the car, but I actually did smoke weed once, then I'm lying and that's bad too, but it's a car and I want the car. And it puts me in this kind of weird situation that, that wasn't the intention. You know, the intention was like, good. It was just, like, hey, you know, I'm trying to make this nice thing and give you this reward. And I think so many times that it also sends kind of this message, which is not what I got in other ways from my parents, but it, this feeling that's like that love is conditional or like that's, hey, if you do all the right things and check all the boxes, then we'll be proud of you and we'll give you this car. But if you don't, then <laughs> no cutting you off, not having it. And I think to what you were saying in terms of that, I think we need to make them feel like that it's okay to mess up or it's okay to make those choices. And that, you know, that doesn't at all change how I feel about you, how much I love you, how proud I am of you or any of those things, you know, that's going to happen. And and that's okay. We all make mistakes. And and then how do we make our kids feel that? But at the same time, also kind of, you know, watch them. Yeah, we, we do want them to be pushing them to make better choices and to be informing them about, you know, what the consequences might be, but also at the end of the day, you know, how do we balance that with also making them feel like no matter what you choose, I love you no matter what, you know, you can always talk to me about it. That's a great question. I think it's important that you say to your kids, I'll love you no matter what. But when you do some of this stuff, the consequences are yours. And again, we want to put that back and on them because then that's how we learn, right? Like you can come home at 1230 if you're cure fuse at at midnight if you want, but then this is what happens. And then making sure we follow through instead of yelling and screaming, you're bad, like you're such a loser. Why did you do that? And that gets into a real emotional battle, which makes part of raising adolescents awful, right? right? Like we can just withdraw and say, I love you to death, but you weren't here when you were supposed to be. You got to get up early in the morning, take your brother to soccer, and you're not going to be able to go out tomorrow night. Yeah. I still love you. Absolutely the same. But there were some consequences for this. Yeah. And I don't think we do a great job of that. And I think, right. you know, we'd rather yell and scream in the moment and then let them go out the next night. Right, right. Yeah, we don't enforce the consequences consistently. And, I, you know, setting them ahead of time, I think, is yeah. just so helpful to be saying, hey, you know, we talked about this. And, you know, we said that if we were going to let you go out, and yeah. this is what the consequence would be, you know, so here it is. But then also just constantly reaffirming that, that, but I still love you. Yeah. And I think we think that it's better to say this is what you have to do. I think also one thing I really encourage parents, especially with kids that are sort of missing the mark on rules or grades or something, 
have a conversation with them and kind of turn the tables to say, well, what is it that you think you're capable of? Mm-hmm. Like academically, what is it that you, by and large, most human beings, but particularly adolescents, they don't want to disappoint people, particularly the parents. Of course, yeah. And, you know, it's not malicious. A lot of it is this notion that the brain isn't, you know, working on all cylinders yet. Yeah. And I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm very much about, okay, you did that. This is the consequence. And I can't save you from that, but I'm going to help you figure it out differently for the next time. And I'm here loving you. So I think that that is something really important. We are terribly afraid of allowing our kids to fail or meet the consequences Mm. when it's still not that huge. Yeah. You know, we'd rather yell at them and then let them go ahead and keep doing the same thing. And then we wonder why they keep repeating it. Interesting. You have some interesting content in here about divorce. And one point you made, I thought that was really profound is that just in terms of processing, and we had an episode recently, we were talking about grief and helping kids understand death and grief. And she talked about how sometimes like we wait so long to tell the kid that, you know, Uncle Joe has cancer or something that it's to the point where you as a parent, you've known for months and you kind of gone through your grieving process, you process this. And now, you know, you, you expect a kid to just kind of jump to where you are and, you know, come to your level. And you made a really interesting point about divorce where it's like a lot of times by the time we tell the kid that we're getting divorced as parents we've already known for a long time we've been processing this and talking about it behind closed doors and now it's like oh hey by the way you know mom and dad are splitting up and now we're at really different phases kind of and um how do we navigate that or or do you think there's a a better approach or or should we have giving them little warnings along the way more or what's your philosophy on that well i don't think A lot of warnings is helpful because, again, that keeps you in a kind of escalated state. Totally. Yeah. Now you're you're just anxious all the time. Right. (laughs) Right. Anxious all the time. And we do know that that level of stress now, you know, we call it childhood adverse effects or childhood stressor. If you're always kind of uncertain or unsure, then you're not where you can use your prefrontal cortex and make great decisions and feel grounded. So that creates a lot of the sort of nobody cares, I'm not sure. That's not a great mindset and it's not terribly healthy from a physical perspective. So I think a better approach is for parents to realize, yes, it probably took them years. I mean, the whole process is very long. It's gotten even longer through COVID and courts and all of that stuff. And then, you know, if you think about that, it usually takes parents quite a while to make the decision, okay, I can't do this anymore. So what I ask them to do is think about honestly how long it took them to terms with it. And then you don't need to give your kids that long typically, but you need to give them some time. And it's really important to let it be their process because everything in their life has changed because they've always known you together. So in fairness, adults lived a whole life. Then they got married. Right. Oh, that is a great point. Yeah, yeah. You had many, many years before you even met each other that you understood yourself as an individual. To them, it's all I ever known is two of you together. We've been a family. Yeah. Mom and dad or dad and dad or mom and mom or whatever. Mom and mom, whatever it is, that's all you knew. Yeah. And there's great security in your home. That's why we still, even in abuse cases, try to get kids back 
with biological parents because that home mm. that has a certain level of security. And I think that, you know, parents need to understand that too. Let them move at their pace. And a lot of times I see so many people where they want me to talk about the divorce to their kids and make sure the kids are settled with divorce. And lots of kids, probably at least six out of 10, don't really want to talk about it. They just want things to be a little, and not because they're ignoring it, but they're like, okay, yeah. I didn't have a choice here. We have two houses now. Yeah, right. And I want to just be able to live my life and not pick sides and not be asked about the sides. Mm. I want to be able to go straight down this path and I'll be okay. If we tell them what to expect and we really reinforce two homes as opposed to one, usually kids are pretty good at coming to terms with that. Yeah. You know, they just don't want it to be brought up all the time. Right. You're divorced. How are you doing with the divorce? Especially when they don't have a lot of choice. Yeah, some really interesting content also about sex and dating in the book. And wonder what you think is, where are the biggest places where parents tend to kind of miss the mark in, in talking about sex and dating? Or where's kind of the things that stand out to you as easy places where a lot of parents could just make small adjustments? Yeah, I, I think parents don't really talk about it. And, yeah, you know, everybody sort of takes the approach, they know it everybody knows what happens or they know, yeah. right? Yeah. And actually, we really don't. We know we're not supposed to talk about it, right? Or it would be kind of a weird thing. So again, the best way to talk about sex and to give your kids the information is to be really, con like not make a big, long sit down lecture. I remember our parents gave us a library life cycle, <laughs> Yeah. possibly like volumes of books. It's like, okay, ugh, could we end now? Yeah. But I think to be really straightforward about two pieces of it, the actual facts of the sexual piece and the developing an identity. And I think we kind of need to approach the idea, especially now that you want to come into your sexuality. Mm. It's not quite as binary or clear as we've always liked it to be. And we know that more than we ever did. We want people to see that as a healthy part of their identity yeah. and finding their identity through adolescence. And I think if there were more space for that, with the technical knowledge, this is what happens if you have unprotected sex in a very clear way. I'm not judging you, but just know this. Like, that is a really good approach. Again, adolescents are super responsive when they know things, but when they get that piece, like you talk about that secret, like I'm not supposed to let them know I got drunk the other, like that, the secrets keep everybody distant. Yeah, right. It's like a barrier between us. And you feel inadequate. Anytime there's distance, you don't feel good enough. Right. I messed up and I shouldn't even really, I'm embarrassed to even say it or whatever. I love their approach in here, really talking about 
just being direct about this kind of stuff. And you have slow quotes in here like, a, yeah, I heard girls are giving blowjobs at the movie theater. Do you know about this? So because I think it's sometimes it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, what do you want, mom? Like, whoa, yeah, what, so are, what are we talking about? Or, yeah, exactly. Or we kind of try to like be, you know, well, you're, I hear there's things happening and we don't really want to talk about it. And I also think those are bad things and you shouldn't do that thing. And yeah. They respond really well to like yeah. knowing what you want and where are we going. And especially like right at the beginning of the conversations, kind of obvious that, you know, this is what you want to talk about and you, yeah. you can prepare them a little bit or, or even giving them something like that and saying, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, we don't have to talk about it right now, but you know, maybe, maybe a little later we can talk, you know, this afternoon or something just so they're, they're even prepared a little bit, you know, that, you, oh, okay, we're going to talk about the blowjobs. Exactly. Can we talk about that? But I think what's important is to sort of say, listen, I'm not accusing or anything but what do you think people think of you know the girls giving blowjobs in seventh and eighth grade in the movie theater and I'm not judging anybody but you know what's that like or do they feel pressure what do you think about that yeah. all those kind of open-minded questions yeah yeah allow a child to think about it yeah. and then also they're like oh they kind of know more than I thought they did. Yeah, mom, yeah. I just thought mom dropped me off. I got some Twizzlers and we're all good. She kind of gets oh, it, right? Oh, maybe she's been a teenager before. Wow, <laughs> yeah, maybe she knows. Ah, right. talking about the emotional sides of things because even something as simple as that is like is easy to just to say oh wow that's a thing that happens but it's if like oh wow being in that situation or feeling pressured to do that or like you're supposed to do that and how might that feel like emotionally is that there's, there's a lot going on there this is a loaded situation to be in and yeah. feeling like you know this is what i'm supposed to do and if i don't am i being a bad girlfriend or yeah. you know dating person or how is this gonna turn out you know later or what my going to lose this opportunity to be with this person or, you know, there's so many feelings that are involved in that. And it's, it's a lot deeper than just, you know, a blowjob in a movie theater. Yeah. There might be many, many layers going on. And I think being willing to, to talk about that too is it's important. And I think it's important because you don't have to answer the questions. I think parents always want to have like, I gave them this lecture, but they didn't say anything. <laughs> it's okay. They heard you. You don't unhear things, right? Oh, they heard you. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, yeah, okay, I got to go now. Yeah. Just let that be. Find comfort in knowing you probably know more. Yeah. And you don't have to be the authority or anything. You can just kind of throw it out there and they'll process that. Like you said, it's a complicated question. Will I be popular? Will I be, what will people think of me? Can I risk this? I'm terrified. I can't go to anybody. But if you've shown them you have a little understanding for it and simply throw it out there, look, I'll protect you no matter what. Mm. You don't even have to go into the details. You're in a weird situation. Shoot me a text. You know, I've got to come home or something. Make a code. Again, kids are a lot more naive. Young adolescents, even older adolescents are more naive than we mm. give them credit for. Yeah, right. And that's the piece that I think I like, that sort of raw emotional piece where they don't understand. I saw a girl in eighth grade the other day, and she was really disappointed in herself that she had kissed her first boyfriend in the fall. And he'd already, you know, kissed a few other girls, pretty innocent. But she said, I just feel so foolish because uh, it really hurts. And I care about him, but he doesn't seem to care. Yeah. 
you know, she didn't have any understanding that maybe she's kind of hardwired differently and she's got the oxytocin that kind of tells her she's got different emotions than maybe what he needs. And it's not really a right or wrong, but it's important to kind of know why there's a difference. Yeah, right. And, you know, immediately her thing is, I'm not good enough. Like, I I think we're struggling a lot right now with adolescents because there's a lot of I'm not adequate. I'm not matching up to whatever else that is. We're here with Darby Fox, talking about some of the most common myths parents fall into when it comes to raising a teenager. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. We want to make sure we allow the space so that they feel it's their process, right? Because for a variety of reasons, once someone's giving too much information or we've noticed we've upset our parents, they're like, oh, don't say anything. Like, it's not really about that. Or you don't need to protect me. It's too intrusive. Mm -hmm. And again, the message goes back to the kid that you don't think they're adequate. Like, I can't take care of this. And especially if they're feeling down about something, Mm. that's not a great reinforcement. I think as parents, it's really, and I've definitely made this mistake, you know, different kids, different situations where we really do have to check what is, where are we coming from? Is that my agenda or is that yours? And frequently, even, you know, I'm pretty in tune parent. I kind of let my agenda lead or I have. You know, I think it's really important that we check ourselves with that. And when we feel escalated, like angry or sad or too much emotion Mm. about a certain situation, that's our time to pull back and say, wait, we aren't the center. And it's this raising our kids and then the parents and that's all that matters. It's like, What we're doing is raising you to be a bigger part of something else. So we have to teach that empathy. And manners is really important. This sounds old-fashioned, but the surest way to build self-esteem is other people notice if you're well-behaved or you say please or thank you or have a good day or let me hold the door for you. Immediately, people notice that. And then you're noticed. And that kind of makes you think, oh my gosh, that was so easy. I held the door for them and they noticed it. Okay, that's a good feeling. So we have to work on rekindling those positive feelings in order to for kids to then not be able to take in the negative. Like, I know that sounds kind of like a quick pull together, but that's what it is. If you've got some self-esteem and some awareness, if you didn't make this up, if you, you know, got a... F on the spelling B. If you've got other things in this world you're aware of, yeah, it's okay. I'm not the best. Not a big deal. Right, right. Right. And that's where we have to start. It doesn't feel like a threat to your identity as much or something. Yeah. Like, how could you? So I think that's important to start at an early age. And, you know, you expect your teenagers to act a certain way towards other people. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of builds on itself. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.